We can start whenever you like, my friend. Start. I actually looked up. We are like, uh, we're on 37. 37 for one season is great. That's a good odd number to end on. Yeah. 37. Is that a prime number? I don't know. I think so. Might be. Uh, either way, prime numbers are good to add on. I'm going to make that little rule and up. And three right now. plus seven is 10, which. Do it again. <laughs> <laughs> It's Which we are. Enough. Season two will come. Exactly. It will come. It will come after the holidays. Things are going to be a little bit sporadic as traveling and semester ending stuff for, for me. And uh, all that fun stuff gets crazy. And then we will kick back off with some wild interviews and more Knob Creek and all that fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> or less Knob Creek. Whoever gets us sponsored first. Though we will take Knob Creek. If you guys are listening. It's true. So. <laughs> it's true. It, it is true. It's a it fine a, bourbon. It is a very fine bourbon, which uh, I, I partook of. Uh, what was it? I want to say Salinger, but that's the author of Catcher in the Rye. But uh, it's all, well, maybe it is that because it was a rye bourbon and it was delicious. Oh, nice. Holy cow. That was. Uh, I had some Eagles Rare recently again. And I was like, oh, that's that's a good one. Yeah. Reasonably priced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And of course, <laughs> yeah. we're changing the name of this podcast to Wood Bourbon Barrels. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, there are there is wood, air, and metal in the bourbon it's barrel production, so you know, maybe need a <clears throat> bourbon barrel guitar. There How many go. people do we have to say will buy a batch from us if we did like a blend? <laughs> <laughs> Do we need like I don't a, know. do we need like a thousand? But I guess it's all. Would a hundred be enough? I don't know. I don't know. But you have a major announcement. I do. Ba- yeah, basing it off of ordering a custom guitar. Oh, I did put a sizable chunk of money on getting a custom guitar made, custom yep. archtop. Yep. Finally, time to join the archtop world. Mm-hmm. Not you know, a very <clears throat> as part as, uh, as part of being a lefty too is a lot of people are like, why not just get like a Gibson or this or that? But it's really limited. It's it's actually almost impossible to find some of these things, even like a like Gibson L5 or something like that. One, it costs more money than the custom one I'm getting made, mm-hmm. and two, like good luck even finding a left-handed one. And I, mean, because, I, I, I was talking to somebody, even even like a, a non, uh, like a laminate top, which is like an ES-175, they're laminated. Um, they, they're like impossible to find left-handed. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> just in general, it's not like I can go, even if I wanted to, really with um, more commercial builders. So well, That's part of the problem. It's like... Yeah, Gibson is huge, but they you figure that lefties represent 10% of the population. And then how many of those are guitar... What percentage of that are guitar players? What yeah. percentage of that are guitar players that would want to warrant spending that much money sure. on a guitar? So it, it, I get, like, the fiscal aspect. I don't like it, but I get it. Yeah. Um, and so that... I mean, I do see them up on reverb occasionally, like, because, you know, I have my feed sure. set for handed... It's part of my morning routine. Check the email. <laughs> How do you ever do anything? It's like you get stuck in those. <laughs> yeah, that rabbit hole. Sometimes I'm like, oh, man. 
Especially if you haven't yeah. looked for a while. So if I don't look, it's actually oh, better yeah. not to look, right? And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, there's like seven new arch tops on here that I didn't yeah, see before. Exactly. I have so many things in like my watch list that I just, you know, and I'm never going to buy it. It's, it's yeah. not going to go on it. But it's like, that is a nice guitar. Yeah, right. And I just want to like look at it. <laughs> That's basically it. Yeah, that Paul Reed Smith, that lefty one is really cool. No, yeah. I'm not paying that, but dang, that is that is a nice looking guitar. Well, and you almost want them to be on... It's like when you buy a house or something. You want the house to be on there long enough that's uncomfortable and you can actually get a good deal on it. (laughs) Instead of... Like if it just was posted, you're like, oh, there's no way they're going to take $1,000 less for that or whatever. Yeah, generally. You know, it's when uh, I watch it and, like, I see the one guy, like, constantly shooting down... You know, like, uh, this item... Because now... Oh, it's right. (laughs) It is 17 offers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean that's good for business, and it makes sense because it can you can see when something's getting traction. But it's still uh, annoying just to be like, no, 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 yeah. no more offers. Everybody, just look at this guitar. <laughs> just that's all. Maybe I should screenshot them just to, and have like my wall of things that got away. Sure. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, no, it's it's been interesting. Um, you know, we talked about it before. Yeah. And you know, I. I talked to a lot of really good builders and just like really good people. And I guess the reason I went with the person that I went with, um, which I guess I'm debating whether I should say yet. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's um, why I haven't said anything. That's, it. that's your call. Yeah. Um, it's just that it was, it was just great like re- feedback so far. I mean, when I would write, I'd write a comment about this, and then he just, he would really like spend time even before it. Would, and it was really like non-sales. I actually sent the letters to um, Adam too, and I was just it's just like here's all this information, you know, like oh you're thinking about this, and here oh what about this, and like if you know if you use this kind of wood, then it's like this, and if you use this kind of it's like this, and it wasn't like he copied and pasted it and put it in there. You just it just felt like a really nice little relationship we were building before mm-hmm. i even put money and there was like zero pressure like oh yeah you should you know send me money and we can talk about it more he's like oh if you feel comfortable like because I, I i had to actually inquire like how do you even start this and what do you need um so it's good and then another thing i noticed is like in the archtop world i'm gonna say that there and this maybe is probably completely unfair but there's sort of like the player level ones, and that's what I'm gonna say are like the sub, let's say, at least sub ten thousand dollar range, um, which is much more where I'm at. And then there's I'm not gonna say they're not player grade, but it's like I don't, I'm wondering like what players are spending twenty grand on some of these guitars. I I just don't yeah. know. And there's a lot of those too. And uh, I was, I mean, those were immediately off my list. Any, I mean, even over, even 10 grand is, was way too much money for me um, to spend on a guitar. And that doesn't so, always necessarily denote value to an extent. Like, sure. you know, the, the one thing that you have to look at is if there were a newer maker, you could get like, you know, uh, a Ramirez in the rough, so to speak, like before he became Ramirez and, or yeah. before Gibson became Gibson, you know, in one sense, it's like those smaller guys that are just starting out that are just kind of getting their feet wet. Uh, it's kind of like th- there's a chance to hit gold. And even s- 
the ones that are necessarily cheaper doesn't mean that they're worse to an extent. It's a real weird marketing slash demand yeah. slash uh, <clears throat> all that type of stuff that, that drives up prices for guitars to astronomical heights. You know, it's like I, I, like uh, watching Guitar Salon's videos, which is they have all these classical players come in and play the instruments to, as an slash as promoting the player yeah. and advertising their own thing, which is great. You know, it's a great, like, who doesn't want to get promoted and play 15 to whatever $100,000 guitar? Yeah, sure. Um, but the ones that are like the crazy expensive ones are like, you know, the, an 1888 Torres or, you know, the, the, yeah, the original yeah. ones that are more historical than anything else yeah you that know, makes sense too bad, but yeah. you know i'd have to like their production value is great like i don't know specific mics but the, everything sounds gr fantastic and uh you know just watching uh john marcel williams play the, the couple of guitars and since i'm acquainted with him i just uh, reached out and was like hey the video sounds great he's like yeah it, it, you know it, it was pretty pretty cool experience um and like the first guitar that he played was fifteen thousand. right you know, it's like zoinks, and then it just went up from there. Like, it, it, yeah. So it's just like, dang. And I mean, when you look at the economics of working on, I mean, if you're a master luthier, which I think all the people we're talking about, they are, right? Like, yeah, that we've talked about, and you know, they spent the better part of their life honing the skill. You'd like to think that they make well over six figures. Right. Or at least comfortably in the six figures kind yeah. of area. And when you start doing the math on these guitars, it's like, well, then how many guitars do you have to build a year? You're, you're a ma I mean, you're a master. You're like one of the greatest builders yeah. in the world. You've spent all this time. You can't make six figures. I mean, if you only, if you sell them for five grand and you only make 10 a year, that's 50,000, you know, like that's, that's, that's not, not that's not going to cut it. Right. So it's not even, Yeah. Not to mention whatever it costs, like the wood probably costs at, at least a, a thousand or, or twice or that, if right? That, yeah, if that's the lower end. Plus, you have tools, which just like you can get obscenely yeah, right. priced guitar stuff, you can get obscenely priced guitar in wood cutting. I mean, wood cutting tools get obscene. It everything is like yeah. that. You know, it, uh, so you I don't, don't begrudge the. I mean, the pricing. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it makes sense, you know, if, if you're only making ten guitars a year. And you're one of the greatest builders in the world. I mean, at minimum, you're charging ten grand, right? Yeah, like at minimum. You know, and that's, and that's probably the, that's the easy guitar, right? That's the easy, easy with the. <laughs> I don't want to say cheap materials, but cheaper materials and not the most exotic, whatever. Which yeah. probably don't sound that good anyway. But that's yeah, that's the other thing too. It's just because it's exotic doesn't necessarily mean it's good. Or what's that one meme where it's got the picture of the fork that's all bent to shit? It's like just bent out of shape and everything. And it says just because you're unique doesn't mean you're useful. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it's like you know, and it, it 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 does prove a logical point. You know, it it happens to be like just because it's a unique wood or a unique thing doesn't necessarily mean it's a great instrument. It can be. Yeah, but sure. but also it'd be the complete converse. It's like, well, that was that was a mistake. That that should not be done again. You know, it's like we looked at those. Uh, those twenty thousand dollar electric guitars, those German ones or whatever, Terse or something, starts with a T. Um, Tufnel, 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 yeah, T yeah. Tufnel, yep. And, yeah, but those uh, are like uh, works of art, right? Yeah, like but there's... those, it's like you look at the guys that are playing them, and they clearly have money to spare. I mean, Billy Gibbons, he's kind of oh, sitting right. 
pretty. But there, but there's a lot of like. All I can assume is that the player players, because there's a few player like high level players that play those. It's hard for me to imagine they spent twenty grand on those. Mm-hmm. They must have got a deal, I would think. And it and it's, I I don't know for sure, um. But it's also too like. There's there's a couple builders that are they're the very expensive right but they like or even uh what was the best thing that like um, Linda Manzer ever did is give <laughs> Pat Metheny a guitar you know it's yeah like, yeah is that like set her entire world like she endless amounts of guitars she builds forever right? yeah because you put I, it I in a talk. you put it in like a pristine like top level player's hands. And maybe it kind of stinks that you have to eat the cost on it or something, but that just means you have orders forever. <laughs> yeah. Especially well, Pat Metheny, exactly. right? Yeah, you're going to get that. And that's just basic economics, you know. Or, and, and, I, and I don't know that he got it for free, by the way. I, I yeah. For all I know, he paid full price and et cetera. And, um, and but still, so like, cool. getting it to him, right, was a, was a big move. Yep. And it also could be – you could also – you're risking the opposite effect – of them hating your guitar, <laughs> you know, and it's like, yeah, oh, yeah. That, that was garbage. Oops. That's a reputational hit. You know, that, yeah, right. that, that, that's not good. Um, well, I, so I guess I'm suspect yeah. suspecting that a lot of the, especially big, you know, somebody like Pat Metheny, people probably try to give him guitars a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. Or listen to this album. Over to- oh, speaking of which, that, that reminds me, you also got a huge shout out by Ron Ty. Oh, wow. Ron Thau? Yeah, it's Thal. It's th- it's you messed me up, too. See? I have that effect on people. Um, but you, like, how did that happen? Like, did you reach out to him and say, hey, listen to my album? Or, hey, I just dropped this? Or how did that go? Yeah, so Ron, a.k.a. Bumblefoot, he's always he's just always, always just been, like, a super cool dude. Like, he's, mm-hmm. I remember before Facebook days, there was a... Bumblefoot forum, and this was before he was on Facebook too. Or sorry, before he was in Guns N' Roses, because everything's Facebook now. Yeah, um, before, yeah. before he was in Guns N' Roses, before he really had like fame, he was he was in uh, on the Shrapnel world, and he was pretty underground. But anyway, he was always really cool on the forum. Like you could, have, you know, he would always comment, and it, it was a good forum that way. Um, there's there's a couple that are like that too. There's gonna sidetrack for some there's one like with scott henderson and guthrie govan and stuff that the before they well even now some of those guys it's like really easy to get a hold of them and they they sort of just never forgot who they were now they might not be a-list celebrities right Mm -hmm. which is probably part of it like can you can you go to can you send slash a message would he get back to you probably not but it's not because he's trying to be a jerk. He's probably gets 20,000 emails a day, you know, from people. Yeah. Um, so it, it's just impossible. But anyway, Ron's always been just super cool. I, I did a cover of one of his songs. Um, what was it? Guitar what, Suck? The, uh, no. Uh, well, every time I shake my head. Every time like I shake my head, it's like Christmas. Mm-hmm. which is a pretty fun little song. So you could look that up somewhere. And I did, I did a cover of that. And then like he, he shared that too, actually. Um, incidentally. Oh really? Sweet. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't know. Whenever I did that song 
And all I did was tag him in it. But anyway, for this one, I had sent him an email or a message on Facebook. And we'd we'd actually chatted a little bit previously. But uh, actually, it was about the Christmas thing. I mean, so it was years ago. And he was like, oh, thanks for doing You know, we kind of went back and forth a little bit. But anyway, so I sent him a thing and said, hey, man, thanks for all the inspiration, etc. I know you probably get a zillion of these things, but... I put this record out and part of there's a, there's an album that uh, I particularly like of his, which is called uncool, <laughs> um, which is like this, um, I don't know. Like it's almost like lounge music slash like bumblefoot. <laughs> and, uh, it's just cool. Like, and Ron's a killing singer too. And it's just a, this really cool vibe of an album. I haven't, I haven't listened to it for a little while, but it's one of those like, you know, there was just no handcuffs on it. And so the Red Side Visible album, that was the same way I approached it, which was, no, you know, no handcuffs. It was just whatever my musical whim was to go with it. And I think generally it was fairly successful in that regard. Um, you know, where sometimes some parts of that have literally 100 tracks at the same time happening, you know. Yeah, it's like yeah. a choir and violins and... 30 guitar tracks and you know whatever and vocals so um anyway i sent that message and he was like oh man and then he actually sent me this little voice i don't think i told you that he sent me a voice clip and he's like yo man thanks for the message i'm totally listening to it and i could hear in the background him listening to snap crackle pop <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then like i don't know a couple minutes later i see ron tagged you in this post or whatever and so he, sh- and he shared listening now and he put, um, you know, they just, just shared the link to their band camp page. So it was cool. cool. You know, and then I saw because of that, you know, I looked at band camp, you saw like 50 people or whatever, listened to it that hadn't listened to it before. Hey, so, uh, that yeah, anyway, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. You know, it's, that, that album's kind of interesting. It's sort of self-generating a little bit, which I don't think I've had one quite like that before. That's um, cool. A lot of the, like the Mirth collaboration thing and then the Night Terror stuff and PSI and some of these other ones that I have um, out in the world. You know, I, I, I get little occasional bumps and I'll see, you know, five people listen to it this month or whatever. But then the Red Side Visible one, you know, I get a continual, I don't know, Three to three hundred to a thousand people listening to it every month in various hey, different locations. Awesome. So it's like it's like, and I and a lot of times I'm not generate. It's not like I'm generating the traffic. Like it's it's getting generated from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's cool. I or or maybe even maybe it's even people just repeatedly repeatedly listening to it, which mm-hmm. is even better probably. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, it's kind of neat. You never know how stuff will grow or who's going to listen to what and take that little yeah, thing. Yeah, I, th- I think it's you can. It's like the the amount of effort that was put under that record, you can hear it. I think <laughs> one would hope. Good lord! And uh, I think people will appreciate. You know, like in a particular scene, appreciate that. So I I could see it being shared. Like, man, have you checked this out? It's kind of a weird record, but like, holy crap! There's a lot of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And so I I think it's one of those things. And I I get you know sometimes I get really nice emails about it and stuff too. So, um, anyway, um, yeah, it was really cool. And, you know, part of that was, um, Matt Hollenberg, who was one of our guests this year, right. Um, 
we were chatting one point and he said some nice things to me about it too. And he's like, I think you should just be sending this to like people that inspired you. And I, I've been really bad about doing that. Um, <laughs> but I, so I did one, I did Ron and then he ended up sharing it. So I'm like, yeah. Oh, there's, there's like a whole host of people. I should be doing that too. <laughs> yep. And what's cool about Bandcamp, Um, the reason why it's, it's even cool too, is like Bandcamp. um, gives you codes for your record. So you, I think you can get like a hundred per record that you can hand out. So I actually sent like Ron the code. I'm like, you can download this yeah. for free or whatever. Yeah. You know, if you want to, you don't have to. Um, and no worries either way. Um, which is the way I took it. So yeah, it's kind of nice. You, you have so much for like press or, you know, giving out to whoever. So anyway, no, I've, got, I've done that a few times with different, like some different press things and stuff. But then, uh, yeah, so I still got like 90 of those to go. So <laughs> I should, you should use them, right? Like that should be the goal. You should use yeah. them. Well, I mean, I think you got cat with a catch 22 a little bit because like you couldn't really tour behind it because nothing was open when it kind of came out. Yeah. With, with and also I don't have a hundred people. To <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pull it up. Uh, that, that, yeah, that would, that's that's a, that's the next not the next one. That's always the conundrum of when you're on a smaller level in terms of being able to afford to pay musicians, and you have this incredibly orchestrated album, and you want to do it live. You're kind of like uh, backing tracks. You know, it's like oh, what's your yeah, solution? It's, it's a it's a little it's interesting when you're younger. I, people, if you're young, if you're in your 20s right now, like you should be bonding with your friends and trying to do bands because the older you get it it does get more difficult it's just it's not that people don't want to play with you or whatever but economically if most of us in our like 30s 40s whatever like we have families and stuff and it's hard to take a gig when you're not going to get paid for it um yeah especially like higher level players right so it's not that people don't like you or something like that but you only get so many like freebie projects where it's not like affecting the food that's going on your plate or, you know, to your family, your kids or whatever. Uh, you have to balance. I mean, I run into that all the time. It's like there's, I, I yeah. have a certain number that I don't move unless I hit that number. Yeah. And then there's, there's certain like passion projects that you might do, but it's like you, you're limited to that, right? You, maybe yeah. you can do a little bit of that, but it's hard to do that for every gig. And the passion um, projects tend to be the ones that uh, you do for yourself, right? Yeah, yeah and at some point, at some point, you got to be like, "This is the one I I have to do my passion project," yep. and, and maybe you have, of, maybe you have to give a little bit to get people to help you with that too, right? So that that's where you you always have that like twenty percent or whatever it is that you'll you'll help somebody else's passion project with the hope that they'll help you with yours one yeah. day, right? Yep. Yep. Um, anyway. Yeah, so it, it's tricky because, like, if I wanted to do a Red Side Visible show, I'd probably have to pay people because, one, we'd have to rehearse probably four to eight times or something before a I show. I think that's on the low end. I mean, no offense. <laughs> I, I think your musical ability is great, but knowing the difficulty of the level. With yeah, the music- it really depends who uh, is involved. But, yeah, it would it would take quite a few um, yeah. people to, to get it. Um. And that's, I think that's one thing that people don't see behind that curtain 
of right. not only not only hiring people to play the music, finding competent people to play that level of music. Sure. You know, it's just like this isn't not that pop is generally easy, but it just it's not pop where it's like okay, it's a chord chart and you can sit down and sit in and just play the thing. Uh, it's more of oh. Okay, this is I can't sight read that. Like, yeah. I, I, I think there's maybe like five people on the planet that could, and so it's like that's immediate. That goes into the payment for the practice time for the gig because it's like all right, yeah, sure. I gotta sit at home and work this up. Then I have to do the re- rehearsals, and then you know the actual show, and hope that it pulls off during the show. It's like one of the things that's the most frustrated is because it's always a one shot, you know, to an extent. Um, when you're doing a, a gig and you're working up for it, it's like the practicing can go great, but none of that matters if it dive bombs on stage. Yeah. Which is like the biggest fear. And that's honestly, you know, if you knew that you were going to play at a consistent level, no matter what the environment was, you wouldn't have any potential uh, a- avenue for nervousness to creep in. But when you're putting all this time into one show, it's like the one shot mentality comes off of that. It's like, I, I got one shot at this. And if this doesn't go well, I'm going to be really ticked because I put in like months of work, yeah. you know, and I, I went to that with the undergrad and my graduate degree. It was like all constant work to one thing and then started sure. again. The one thing Now, granted, I before kids, I toured before those gigs, uh, those recitals like crazy just to kind of like, all right, whatever. This is just another thing when I got at my graded one. But yeah, I mean, uh, any, anyone who's gone on any kind of tour, and if you're lucky enough to do it with the same band, right, or whatever, like your first, even if you rehearsed, your first gigs are kind of like sloppy. There's just little things that happen on stage. Yeah. You're kind of like just sorting through stuff. But like that third or fourth gig, you're really starting to hit like all cylinders. Yep. You still have like that creative burst. You haven't repleted like every line you've ever done. Like in the improv world, it's like, yeah. At some point when you've done 10 shows now in a row in like a couple of weeks, you're like, oh my God, I hate hearing myself play. <laughs> like, why don't I keep playing the same stuff that I always play? You know, I thought I had more in the bag or whatever than <laughs> this. Um, so you're, you're like, God, I hate everything and I got to go back and woodshed, which is how you get better though. Yep. But anyway, that it, it takes a couple gigs, right? And then, but that like third or fourth gig, you're starting to play like really well. You know, where all this, like, especially like in my world where like, you know where all the pedal settings are. You know where the sweet spot on the amp is. Like where yep. your finger, you know, you figure, you like figured all that stuff out because you get better. Everybody gets more tight with each other, and all those little hits and stuff happen in better spots. So yep. it takes it takes a better. little while, regardless how good you are, right? And that's why Zappa would practice for like months. <laughs> yeah, and, and like, even and even when they do that, they practice for months. Go on the road. The first couple shows are still like, eh. it wasn't until yeah. like the you know the next week or whatever where they were like, okay, now we're like we're hitting yeah, on all cylinders. Yeah. And that's like back when I would tour uh, pretty prolifically, it would be like the first three shows would be local smaller things, basically to do just that. Yeah. To be like, all right, I'm working out all the kinks. I'm getting used to the time. I mean, even like the timing of jokes, the how I talk to the audience, sure. like set lists. And designing all that stuff, that, that, all, that all factors into uh, how you're going to go about it. I mean, these aren't just like, oh, I just like show up and do this thing. It's like, no, nah, it doesn't work yeah, like sure. that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, there's so does. much behind it. Yeah, it reminds me, like, my summers used to be really packed. Um, I would have two to three gigs a week almost through the summers. And even if they were different groups, 
it's like, man, you start to really start to play well in a lot of ways. Like you're performing, yeah. like you're not practicing as much because you don't have time for it. Or if you're practicing, you're only practicing for those gigs. Yeah. But you really get like your like gig chops up when you play that much. Yep. And uh, it's I don't know how else you could re- replicate. You can't replicate it in practice. It doesn't work. No, you can't. Well, it's like the uh, you can't even re- you can't even replicate it in rehearsal. Like, yeah, you play with the same people. Like you can't replicate it. So it's just a it's an energy thing. Like the, yeah. a live audience is totally different than whatever. And the uh, what's so what I put it the the old saying. I don't know if this is a saying or not, but at least what, from what I've heard is like one pra- or one gig is worth ten practices. Oh yeah, I totally agree. And, and it's like it's so multi-tiered too because there's a factor of setting aside the, the gig but if one gig you will practice more because you have a gig so that's automatic so you're already, already going to put well, and, and you're practicing your music yeah not like bullcrap like <laughs> spider exercise or whatever on yeah exactly. Like, you know, like, exactly you know and that's the thing that like for myself it's like no gig technique comes in gig yeah switches you know and i keep the technique going just to keep my hands loose but like so you have all this other stuff that you're doing ahead of time to prep for that gig with that aim and that's motivating and then you get to the gig and that additional pressure of having a, a live audience and potentially a one shot with it like the amount that you glean from that show versus everything else is tremendously higher and it's extremely valuable. Right. And the more you do it, the more it just kind of like, so it, it, it builds that resilience performance resilience within yourself, you know? So if you're not getting out there and taking your knocks, you're never going to be able to take a punch and you're going to screw up on stage and fall apart. You know, or even pr- everybody screws up on stage. Everybody does. Like, I, I don't care uh, how good you are. Yeah, of course. You're always going to have your own being like, ah, that didn't go as well. And where the audience, it might be clueless. But to you, you're you're hearing things that they're not picking up on. Sure. I'm just saying that. To that's ninety-eight percent of the gigs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and but that's like, a, you know, I was just telling a student earlier today. I'm like, when you record yourself, it doesn't lie. Like you're gonna hear back every little flub that you're looking for, and that's great. And it also sucks because you're hearing all your mistakes. And especially if you're act, uh, critical, you're going to be sitting there going, mm, no, no, God, why did I do that? You know, you're going to yeah, really, sure. t- and then you're going to want to. Isn't quit. it funny? Like I've been trying to figure this out. Um, why is our real, like, it's not even, I don't even know if it's real time analysis, but it's like, why is our real time analysis? Not very good. Like, why didn't you know that, like, doing that didn't work or the timing was weird or something like that when you were doing it? Because when you listen back, like, I know this is where the real-time analysis thing's weird, weird, is that you're, like, you listen back and you're, like, instantly, like, that doesn't sound good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. like, why didn't you, when you were playing, go, like, that doesn't sound good? Like, I, I don't understand why we can do that. Maybe so there's I mean, a limit to how many things we can keep track of, you know. I guess, it's yeah. Like, there's like, definitely a limit to how many things I can keep track of. <laughs> yeah, well, to everybody. We all have limits. But it, so I think, like, when you're playing it back, you don't have the uh, – it's playing to keep track of at the same time. You know, obviously, you're listening while you're playing, but you're not completely engaged in listening as you would be without your guitar. Sure. Like, you put a guitar in my hand and it's like a bomb could go off next to me. It's like, wait, what? 
you know. Yeah, uh, and I, I, so. I don't know how objective it is either, right? Like, I, I'm reading this Michael Brecker biography, which I pretty much finished last week. Um, there was a new biography, Michael Brecker, if you don't know him, was like, basically after Coltrane the, in the tenor world, he was probably the the next biggest name. And anyway, just total monster musician, right? <laughs> and, like, it's all through the book. They're just talking about how Mike would show up at these recording sessions and just hate everything or like mm-hmm. there's a there's a herbie hancock's like they used to they did a group together and he's like mike would come off stage and just be like i'm sorry man i totally screwed that up and herbie's like dude what are you talking like that was incredible <laughs> like unbelievable yeah. and it's like mike's I, mike's just like i i'm really sorry like you probably don't even want me around like <laughs> whatever <laughs> maybe you should kick me out he's like what's wrong like how are you this hard on yourself you know but anyway i guess my point was like even people of the highest caliber we don't we probably don't evaluate ourselves very well um and maybe that's okay that's that's how you get better i mean that's that's how you become michael brecker that's how you become that's how you do it i mean and that's what i was telling i'm like coaching the student through the process i'm like the first time you're going to listen to yourself you're going to be like why the hell do i play this instrument i should quit i should burn this and just go work at mcdonald's you know that's just uh, not that there's anything wrong with mcdonald's but it's uh you know that feedback has to and that input that we're getting that's completely objective the tape literally coming back into our face or whatever the sound and then we can analyze that is the psychological game that you have to play is like, okay, I'm not doing this to destroy my own playing. I'm doing this to find the weak points and get better at it. Sure. You know, you're like, okay, I can, I can do this better. And then you play it. And then, you, you know, it, it takes the one time where you fix it, where you, where you catch it, you know, in your play and go, ha, you listen to it back and it was there and it was exactly what that, it, and it begins to bring that a real perspective to it. Sure, it also it also shows you why like having a like a master teacher who's around you hearing you do it, and when they say like, "Whoa, stop! What was that? Like, what were you doing? Like, what happened there? Like, what were you thinking? Like, were you not were you not in the moment or whatever? Like, what? How did you do that? And it's not because you're being being a jerk. It's because you're saying um, that because they can hear what what you would have heard in the recording. So when you hear the recording back, you're like, Oh yeah. Yep. Like I get that. They actually, they really did. They weren't being a jerk. Like they actually heard something that I'm hearing now for some reason I couldn't hear in the, in the moment. Yeah. It's like it, learning how to see certain things in yeah. any type of field, like knowing that having that feedback one by your instructor or two yeah. by like video playback you know it's like why sports teams watch videos to be like this is where we screwed up you know you need that a- external thing to be o- otherwise yeah. you just don't know you know or you might know because you get clobbered or whatever but you know, at the same time it's not as much as being like that's where that fault is you know this is kind of like to bring it around to the oh who's the physicist you keep mentioning the quantum richard guy. feynman yeah, the anti-government guy was that him or was it? Uh, yeah. 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 Okay. So well, partly because uh, he was on the Manhattan Project and you yeah, know, how yeah, that yeah. Went. I know, I know. <laughs> but, uh, I'm just trying to get a point of reference. You know, anti-government. Hey, all right, I remember that much. So, like, with him learning the rocket science, you know, it's like you got to show up and you have to just sit there, ask the the stupid questions, ask the, and once you get those basics, you keep asking more questions. Yeah, actually, that, that reminds me of, of man, I'm, we're like on all cylinders right now, but yeah. when we're <laughs> Um, 
when you practice, how many times do you go back and be like, it's like a, a foundation, like fundamental thing. You're like, I really never, I never yeah. sorted that thing out because I was yeah. thinking about this thing over here and I never fixed this thing first yeah. when I should have. Yeah. And now here it is haunting me. And, and even if you did figure it out at one point, but you kind of forgot about like maintaining it or whatever, now you got to go back and fix it again. And you're like, why do my quarter notes suck? You know, or something yeah, uh -huh. It's like, I cannot play a C major triad or something, you know, like why doesn't this, it's like, you didn't, you have to like keep all that like fundamental stuff sorted. Yeah. I, I don't no, think I, I sent I, it to you, that, but I, there, there's this cool video that somebody took a, it's only like a minute and a half long of Charlie Parker like warming up before an interview or something. And it's just cool like to hear him. But it's also he's one of those people like he could play a C major scale and you'll start crying. You'll mm -hmm. be like, oh my that's like the most beautiful thing you've ever heard. And he's just like da -da 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 -da. and you're like God, that was the hippest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it's just like he like nails it in a way like he get he like you could tell that he always worked on fundamentals. Mm -hmm. Like it's funny they they actually somebody did a video. Um, what is it? Sharp Eleven. You ever seen those videos? No. It's a YouTube guy. He does these like in depth videos. <laughs> he did like a twenty minute video about this minute and a half clip, and it's just like. You know, like here's Charlie, like getting ready for the thing, and he's he plays like major scales, uh, ascending by half step or whatever. But it, it sounds like so cool, like it sounds so good. Mm. It's like it's because like he spent so much time just honing those fundamentals. Yep. That uh, fundamentals you know, it's, it's, it's like you can't get away from it. No matter what, you could try to like work on all kinds of the hippest, coolest twelve tone whatever thing, but you can never escape the need to work on fundamentals yeah i don't know how we got here exactly but either um, way no we got here because we were talking about tapes and recording and improving and fundamentals the sure. tapes like and that's the other thing too i think the reason why the tapes are so useful and so uh catastrophic to your ego if you're using them right is that they have no problem showing you where your fundamentals are garbage like it has zero problems being like, yeah, you know, those things where you're talking about like fretting and everything, you suck at that. You got to yeah. fix that. You know, it's like, God. And so you go back and you, you, you do. And it, but it's great because, you know, I think the, part of the reason why you get wired into music and just get obsessed with it is that there's always something new to tweak and sure. get better. It never ends. Like there's nobody that's like, I've perfected it. I'm just not going to do anything. You know, it, it, even then, they still keep cracking at it. You know, it, it's just one of those things where it's like, oh, if I, what if I just do this? Um, so I saw somebody, uh, this kid was interviewing Sonny Rollins. I don't know if you mm -hmm. know Sonny Rollins. Yeah. Like one of the greatest tenor tax players ever, blah, blah, blah. And the kid was like, so once you mastered blah, 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 blah. And Sonny's like, no, no, wait, like you never master anything. Like I, he's like, I haven't mastered anything. And he, he's like in his 80s now. Um, he still plays great. Um, yep. but anyway, so it was like, to your point, it's like, you, you can't ever, you, you don't ever master it. Yeah. Well, because you know, it's one of the, the, the annoying things about being human 
<laughs> so we're just but, not- e- but even it's like what would that even mean like even if you were a computer like could you master a major scale i don't i don't know like probably well, not question of like what is mastery which yeah is right so that's a whole yeah what, is just playing the sequence of notes is it playing the secret note sequence of notes with like certain inflections is it uh musicality is it rhythm is it all of them combined at which uh, point does sure, it it's all up? it's all of it right you know it, it, it's all of it and yeah and you start like, you start adding all these qualifiers to it and be, that qualifier yeah. list is millions of things maybe right it's like yeah you could never get it good at all of them and that's that's just part of it though it's it's one of the, the i think that it's almost like it's a paradox because the deeper you go in the bigger it gets you know like you're not hitting the bottom the lake is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger the further you go down that, that uh, particular swimming hole and it's uh that's the fun thing about it you know it's oh, sure. like the more you get into it it's like good lord the amount of de- and it, I think, you know, for myself now, I'm beginning to see things that I've never seen before in my sure. own plan, other people's things. And that's just, you know, that's just from keeping at it. You know, it's like I can watch things and be like, oh, like he did this slight change with the hand or that's how his grip is. And that's doing that. And that's producing this sound. And uh, that's kind of sound I like. Well, I didn't like what he did there, but I like this other thing and his sensitivity for these things. How do you get that sensitive? Like, how do you completely keep certain dynamic levels separated with your hands? And sure. why do, where are you pulling from to get louder? It's like, I, I think I've discovered another spot on my guitar to raise the volume in the sense of like where I can play to get louder and sure. the, the hand angle with that. And I've had that guitar for 15 years, you know? Yeah, that, that reminded me, I was playing my Eastman, which is a hollow body um, guitar. And the this hand, when it rests on the top, right? It's like controlling the pressure that you put on the top of the guitar you know and just the the way that affects the sound yep and i mean that's uh, why it's like gosh it's like you you have all these other little intricacies you're paying attention to and now it's like oh i i really really was because i mostly played solid bodies so i wasn't even really paying attention to that and and when i play classical i almost always play with my uh, you know finger picking style so my arm's in a different place than when i'm picking so it's not pressing on the top like when I was picking. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so it's like all these little things you got to like pay attention to. Yeah, you just keep learning more. You're like, okay, well now now I got to pay attention to how much forearm pressure I'm putting on the top. <laughs> and maybe I need to adjust my posture a little bit to make it so I can do certain things or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. The, well, like one of the things that I, I've been – focusing on now was I watched a David Russell master class because, duh. uh, but, uh, he was more on. Some... Yeah. <laughs> There's a meme. I, I meant to send it to you. It's got a picture of David Russell and it says, see, you have two problems, your left hand and your right hand. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Oh, that, that's great. <laughs> you know, it's like, yes, <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, anyways, but he was talking about like, because I've been paying attention to more, more on the string noise aspect of my playing and just trying to get it as silent as possible and as clean as possible. Yeah. That's, that's just freaking good lord. It's like I might as well just go back to playing rock guitar. I mean, no offense to rock guitarists, whichever. Like, just like, yeah, no, it's really interesting on nylon string because you're like, when you lift your fingers, if you slide a little bit, 
because you're yeah. going to your next spot, you hear that like, right? Yep. And it's like, okay, well now, how do you get rid of that? Well, then you got to lift straight up, mm-hmm. move your hand, but not too far away from the strings because you know, it's like, yeah, you don't want to be like, like, and maybe oh, it's yeah. only one finger, but you got to then you got to lift that finger like straight up and then move it. Or it's it a matter of holding a chord and moving a finger to catch a melodic note because yeah. you'll push like a bass string and you'll get some string noise. You know, I noticed that when I'm, I'm working up the project that we're working on now and it's because it's so spacious, the string noise thing is like punching me in the, yeah, right. yeah, It's like, oh my God, I suck. Uh, so, but one of the things that he was talking about in terms of noise from nails, this is the one thing that I picked up from the master class and the other thing I'm, I'm working on. But uh, he's like, the only reason... He, or not the only reason, but he was like one of the big re- contributing reasons to string no- or nail click is tension in the fingers. He's like, you got to let them relax. Just relax. So, and it's this weird thing of learning to let go and trusting your fingers to play it. But as soon as I di- started to do that, it was like, poof. It's significantly less than it was. It happens occasionally where before it was like I was noticing it sure. more common than I would like. And now it's just like that even reminds me, that's like that thing where um you know when you have a pick um but it's the same with a nail it's like how f- fast you go through the string actually you know if you go real fast it makes the string go louder right mm. um because you're putting more kinetic energy into the string <laughs> but that doesn't mean you have to press harder like yes it's faster but it's not harder that, that's mm-hmm. a really tricky sort of thing to lo- learn. Yes, it is. Um, it's staying in that relaxed state where you're letting your... It's not like muscling your, it. You're not yeah. like, I'm going to rip these strings off. Yeah, that, it's just moving that, faster. Uh, moving, You move your finger faster and yep. it gets louder. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the things like practicing dynamics. Like what is my mezzo forte compared to, to my mezzo piano compared to my fortissimo? Like where, what do I consider that sitting on the other side of a microphone and then going back and watching it. And can I replicate that with another recording? Can I sit down and go, Oh, I'm going to do it again. <clears throat> you know, is that going to be the same? Is it different? How, how is it stepwise? Um, those are all things to kind of consider because it just, that consistency of those small details is what separates the masters up to another sure. thing. It's like, um, I remember that distinctly when I watched Jason Vio, he has a, a video of him playing the 998 in a church with this incredible church. You know, it's a great room, swimming in reverb, uh, gorgeous recording. And then he played the same piece at the Tiny Desk concert on NPR. Okay. And he played it the exact same way. You know, so it's like he's letting all these notes kind of hang in a dead space at the NPR studios versus where he would. But it, it struck me. I'm like, that's intentional. He's always playing it the exact same way. He's not changing a dynamic thing because he's in a new space. He just happens to be playing that. And that's one of the things that's like, well, how am I practicing in order to build in that level of consistency with that? I'm not saying that I always do it, but it's just one of those things that become, yeah, sure. that I become aware of uh, as I'm playing. It's like, what level of consistency? Where am I at consistency? Is there consistency in just hitting the notes? is my consistency is hitting the phrase with dynamics and shaping is my consistency in my finger. Like, how do I keep that consistency up? Because you don't get to perform at a certain level and not have all those things be at a sure. constant. So it's a uh, really kind of uh, 
involved with those level that detail thing and that's you know it's like during the school semester when things get busy it always drives me nuts it's like i can't just sit there what's funny so when you first learning guitar when you first started learning like that i don't know let's just say intermediate stage where you're like oh the melody note should be louder than -hmm. the other notes and that's kind of a big deal for a while where you're like wow how do you make one note louder than the other ones because at that point up to that point you've made every note sound the same and that yeah. was a goal, right? Was just to even like, I want cons- some consistency. And then you realize, oh wait, part of that is making one of those notes stick out. But then, then you have the next level where it's like, well, the middle notes actually should be quieter than the bass note, or whatever, or maybe they're louder than the bass note, or maybe the second note's loud. And then now you have like four different notes, and they all have four different dynamic ranges. And on top of that. The bass note, because it's on the low E string, actually sticks out more because of blah, blah, blah. You know, like, you start to get in all these, like, little, like, traps, especially on classical guitar, where it's like, man, you got to remember you can't hit the E string as hard as you would the D string, be- even though, like, you're maybe you're doing some kind of contrapuntal bass thing or something, and <laughs> you're switching between those strings. But the D string, to have the same volume, actually has to be hit a little bit harder than the E string. That's it, like all these little, like, in, very in, infinitesimal things. But the end result of the thing that you're hearing is it just sounds better. Yeah. No, and you, exactly. you, You'd be like, okay, these two players are playing. They're both, let's say, in time. They both have fairly good tone. But this sounds more musical than this one Mm -hmm. and then on top of that it's like well dynamics are funny because they're not very interesting if they stay the same so if that middle note was supposed to be at this volume it really needs to do this kind of thing because it has a little line of its own yeah and the other lines going down like this it's like you start to have like you have four lines they all have (laughs) their own little independent dynamic things that's happening i'm i'm picking four because we're guitar players and much yeah. more than four is practically impossible. Um, yeah. But uh, okay. <laughs> but anyway, um, it's like, and even on piano, that's practically impossible. But uh, it's like you have these four notes moving, and like they're all have their own little independent things going, and it really does sound better for uh, I don't know whatever magical reason that melodies sound better when they're actually doing dynamic things and whatever, and and if you have four independent, but. Anyway, no, yeah. I, what what a fascinating I, thing! You just like keep getting like more and more into those little intricacies. That's the thing that I notice when I revisit older pieces, like sitting down and playing them. I'm like, yeah. ah, see this line back then because I just didn't know what to look for. You know, uh, it's uh, in one sense, it's almost like we appreciate aesthetic beauty through our eyes without even thinking about it because it just kind of like hits us. Yeah. But like we don't sit there and go, well, that's shading into this and that's doing this and that's going this. You know, those are things that you think about way afterwards. And it's yeah, the same if you thing. Went to back, well, yeah, if you went back to analyze it, right. And it's the same thing that's going on with high-level music of playing. The player might be thinking about that, and they clearly are if that's coming across. But that at the moment, you're not totally in that space of oh well this is shaping like that i mean i kind of am and i think every musician just like every artist when they look at a landscape is probably going oh well that's this color here and that's coming off of this is how to replicate that type of a painting i mean just doing the same thing when they're listening to music like okay these things are going that way um and so you notice more but that's the world that you live in but you know if i was going to like take off my analytical hat which is difficult to do but take that off and just kind of like 
listen to a particular thing, uh, you get the beauty of it coming through without knowing the detail of it. It's just kind of there. And you can totally tell the difference. It's like the Portland, uh, what is it, the Portsmouth uh, Sinfonia <laughs> versus a, a real orchestra. Uh, oh, sure. The, the 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 Porth, for those that don't know the am I saying it right is that the right one the world's uh, and I got to look this up because it's honestly it's funny I think yeah. I've heard of it sounds familiar but I don't know what it is it is uh, an experiment is it like uh, a player name? orchestra kind of thing yes but you cannot be playing the instrument that you have played. So it basically means. like it means that if you're a flutist, you have to go in and play violin. Like you cannot okay. play an instrument that you're. Professing. Oh, so it's not a machine. It's people that are it's going in. Okay. It's people. It's a it's a social experiment. It started in like 1970, uh, and it is it's awful. <laughs> I mean, if you look up the the world's worst orchestra, it's them, and it's like it's. Laugh out loud, crying bad. Okay, and they do it like with all these uh, orchestral hits. You know, like they do two thousand one, the space, or thus spake uh, Zarathustra. You know, uh, and like all these big things that uh, uh, are in the classical world that everybody can recognize. Like even yeah. if you don't know the name, you're like, oh yeah, that song. And they just like they play it, and they have a conductor, and they don't rehearse. Like there are no rehearsals. They sit down, they get the music, and they go. I'm laughing just because it's like so bad. Like they're hit that that da 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 da, da and it's it's just like the most, <laughs> oh, it is the most awful thing that you've heard, and it's hysterical. But uh, it, it it's like comparing them to like the Cleveland Orchestra or the New York Philharmonic or whatever the one in. I, I was wondering if you were gonna go with. Um... Well, I, I don't know the level of players that are going there, but if you had like Cleveland Orchestra level players go there, and then but had them switch instruments, um, would they would the notes maybe be wrong, but like the aesthetical things be good because they just have like a appreciation for dynamics and tonal color, and even if they don't really know the instrument, they sort of like oh this makes this sound, this makes that sound, so I I think it's kind of. It'd be sort of interesting to find out. Well, I think, of course, because there's some fundamental rules of music that transfer between instruments. You're going to take yeah. and like, okay, if I if I do this harder, it's going to get louder. If I do this softer, it's going to get quieter. And the, okay, these are the notes that are, okay, there's a basic layout and it kind of goes from there. I th yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to, to find out in that experiment if those yeah. things were still strong. Maybe the, oh, the intonation and notes... Have. Yeah, if the, the intonation and that stuff is really bad. <laughs> not, not, not so much on the intonation. Not, not so much. That was, uh, that was a <laughs> uh, hysterical. Like, you, you take the time, look them up, listen to the albums as much as you can stomach, or, you know, have a nice scotch and sit there and enjoy your evening just laughing your head off. I'm, I'm fascinated by that. I didn't even uh, know this. I thought this, you were going somewhere else with this. No, no. I was, I was thinking of, like, a player orchestra or something. No, like the equivalent of a player piano as an orchestra. Oh no, 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 no! I was going with the 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 terrible one that I know of that's popular, and you can get their albums versus uh, uh, the the accomplished ones. Um, so it's it's so bad, it's 
there's no other way to to put it. The Portsmouth Symphonia. Portsmouth Symphonia. Oh. You know, it's okay. I'm playing. The anesthesia. I'm playing it real quick, so everybody's gonna. I, know, I was it. looking it up on here. I was gonna put. <laughs> yeah. So here we go. It's coming through. <laughs> Can you hear any of that? <laughs> Hey, they got that note, at least. <laughs> the symphony is like so hard. Oh my god. That's pretty modern. Hip, hip sound. Oh my god. <laughs> Anyways, like that. Well, now that we have no more listeners. <laughs> yeah, they all ran like crazy. Oh my god. Uh, but yeah, that was... Uh, Good God. It, I, I still, I, I was crying. It, it's just so funny. They do a ton of stuff. Like, yeah, just in the Hall of the Mountain King. So, how did we get here again? Yeah, we got here because we follow rabbit holes. And that, that's, uh, we got here because of comparing things and talking about musicality and the details. But either way, it was a fun arrival. <laughs> that was definitely, uh, that's a highlight. Speaking of highlights, we have hit 1,000 listens. So we got that going for us. Sure. More than that. Yeah. It, yeah. We're more than that now, but it happened when we were taking a small break there. And uh, so that's pretty exciting. We have 37 episodes. So that's roughly 30. Yeah, and that's not counting YouTube, actually, too. So. Oh, sweet. So another 70. Yay. No, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> so we have 1,002. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance. We have 1,002. We've had some awesome times in terms of interviews. Like our first official one was the. Uh, can't or not uh um spectacle spectacle culture spectacle Man, culture. if you haven't if, you, if you've made it this far in this podcast and you haven't listened to the spectacle culture thing with mark yeah you gotta check that was that just out. The, the most fascinating oh yeah interview yeah. man i we gotta revisit that at some point yeah, we could, we're gonna have a part two we already talked about doing a part two so we gotta do that then we add the uh so this, by the way if you if you if you don't know that was us a PhD in sociology came on yeah. and we talked about the spectacle because he if that's to the not fascinating yeah. enough as a topic. I don't know what to yeah. tell you. About. I mean, not, and that was like just skimming the surface. Now we're going to start talking about that and we should just have him back on and do another interview. Yeah, we will. Yeah. And then uh spherical agenda a couple of times. We, so yeah, we had Brandon Coleman on. Yep. And then and we then, had uh, Jim Marin on. Jim Marin. Yep. And then we, and then, 
Spectro, sorry. Spherical Agenda. Spherical Agenda, sorry. Which, by the way, shameless plug, the album drops tomorrow. I can't freaking yeah. wait. I have been counting non days for this thing to yeah, come out. Yeah, mo- just monster band, monster musicians. If you're in Cincinnati, sorry, they actually sold out their uh, CD release show. That's awesome. That's great. Um, I just saw that this morning or this afternoon, I think, which so is did- tomorrow, I think. Isn't it tomorrow? Yeah, tomorrow. Oh. Yep. So Jim Marin and then Neil Zaza. The oh, yeah, Neil Zaza, which was amazing. Yeah, That was amazing. His album's coming out sh- shortly, too. Nice. Uh, and I, I imagine he's doing the Christmas thing, too? Yeah, they're doing One Silent Night. They just did One Dark Night, and that was supposedly really cool. Didn't I didn't have a chance to go. That's yeah, so if old. you're in the Cleveland-Akron area, Northeast Ohio, uh, One Silent Night, go yep. check that out. And then, then we had Spherical Agenda after that, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah I think you're right. Yeah. And then uh, now, then we had uh, the, the our best one with Matt. Like, that episode was Yeah, great. Matt Hollenberg. Yeah, that was our most popular episode by far, the two episodes. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, it, just it a fascinating, because he's just a ridiculous musician. Yeah, it's, it's like reasons why I don't, why I'm not successful. Guys like him <laughs> exist. So it, not just that, but you know, he's, well, we, he's, man, we got into so, like such like deep conversation too, just yeah, about, about creativity and creativity, getting, being uh, a musician, like the pushing the boundaries, sort of dark yeah. side of it too, and yeah. man, fascinating. So if you yeah. haven't checked that out, man, you you will. It, I think that's one of those things you listen to, and it sort of changes you. Yeah, no, <laughs> you I agree. I can't totally. help but be changed. Yep, fascinating. And then, uh, yeah, and that was our. Was that our? No. Uh, that wasn't our last interview. We had Heather with the. Oh audio- yeah, Heather Maliuk. Yeah, for yeah, so audi- audiology stuff. That was cool. Man, that was really cool. That would be another one. And then, um, I think Matt was our last in terms of time order. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, we have a couple more coming up. That uh, it actually, yeah, on. we we haven't done the. We we could do so many more. Yeah. <laughs> probably yeah, we well, well we'll stick that for season two which is coming this yeah. is the uh, season one break so it's going to be sporadic and you know we'll get uh it'll probably just be me and tim and we'll save the interviews for when we're officially back to our weekly schedule the uh, podcast but you know with the holidays coming up and semester ending and so on we're just kind of gonna do filler stuff and uh go from there i mean this has been a blast though this is yeah at least- i mean uh, we've waited almost a year Almost it'll be a year in January. Yeah. So, which is crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. That's so cool. Keep it up and get playing and get these projects off the ground. A whole lot of recording over the the breaks coming up. Yeah. So you have your plan for your so April yeah, 5th, the- April fifteenth release date, which is coming up quickly. Okay. Yep. But the uh, I started into learning it today. You know, and realized that's when I was like, oh god. I- just freaking squeak all over the place. What the, what is my problem? Um, so I even, <laughs> I mean, I'm going to admit it now. I, I bought cheater strings for the recording just to see how they are. They have polished classical strings. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, let's see how the bases are with that. So I grabbed a set. We'll see if it actually makes a difference or not. It should, but God only knows. Um, and then uh, the, uh, what was the other thing? Um no, just working up the project, really. And that's uh, started uh, started into that today officially. It was like, all right, 
I had my gig, so all that. Mo- I'm keeping that material because this new material for the album is also going to be part of my set. So it's like, okay, I have to. I'm into the whole juggling pieces type of thing. So yeah. Oh yeah, revisit that today and revisit this and learn. So do you, do you think uh, just for simplicity, are you going to record at your house or are you thinking about going I'm somewhere? Going back and forth. I I think if I'm going to go somewhere, I'm going to bring my own equipment, but. I really need somebody on the other end of the on the laptop. That's my biggest thing that hangs that hangs up even with home recording is that I I'm great at getting phenomenal tone from other people's playing. I suck at doing it for my own, and I think it's because it's like I have to sit down, get up, play back, listen. Yeah, move. Then you move too much. Yeah, then I move too much, and then it's like you know the consistency thing. So I always. Like I always, I'm on the edge of loving and hating it. You know, it's like, yeah, that sounds God. You know, it's just not, not just not as good as I got this other guy's tone. And you know, so I'm always comparing to other recordings that I've done. And it's like there can't be two of me. So I need to find somebody that is willing to either trade off. Like they'll sit on one side and I'll sit on the other. I've had friends do that before, and and it's worked. But none of them have been sound engineers to the degree of like myself for classical. So it's been like. I'd say, like, out of a scale of 0 to 100, it'd be, like, 80, 85, where I want that 100, you know, sure. uh, from my own sound. And uh, getting that is going to be notoriously difficult with just myself. So we'll see how that goes. You know, that I have a couple of people in mind that uh, I might just throw money at just to get it done. You know, you sit there, do this. And I need – it's not only that, but I also need somebody that can read music and speak the lingo uh, efficiently. And I had that with the other two guys. They were like, yeah, you might want to take that phrase a little bit better. And so, so that was really helpful, but it'd be great to get a package of all in one, you know, it'd be like, sure. yeah, that was cool. Now let's actually play it with music type of thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so that's uh, that. Um, so having that scheduling at, I'll probably end up just doing it at home and calling it a wrap and just making it easier. Uh, I might do the math. I might send it out for mastering and uh, mi- mixing is relatively easy, but the mastering is something or it'll be a different uh, thing. Though I have all the software, it's just a matter of getting into it. Sure. Go from there. And that'll be it. You know, it. Uh, I'm really excited for the three interviews that we have uh, set up. You know, one of them you've heard about rumors of this person throughout. So that's why we want to kind of mm-hmm. kick off the second season <laughs> with that particular interview being like, Ooh, who's this? You've heard the rumors of this man and the damage that he is. And the greatness, legend, yeah. the legend. Now it's time to meet him. So, uh, I'll, we'll just leave that. And then so he can uh, scold us on how bad we're doing. Yeah, on podcast. Exactly. <laughs> what are you, what are you doing? Why am I here? <laughs> this is wasting my time. You, this Tell is me when you're better. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me when you're better. Come I know on. you thought that was a good intro. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. So that'll be great. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, going, uh, I booked an official gig at Kenyon in March, like the end of March. To So that's going to be my official, uh, not album debut uh, in the sense of selling the album, but performance debut or the pieces. So I'm kind of, I needed to set a goal to really, really help motivate it. And Yeah, sure. You know, the nice thing is, is that I do get a small stipend, so it's not completely useless. Um, uh, but it also like builds the, the studio and builds the school's reputation. So that's sure. the point. So it also puts more pressure on me to actually play it well. Go figure. Um, well, I think part of this experiment too is that it doesn't end on the first. 
so the the first record is only the, the step start time. of it right it's like then you, gotta do, then you gotta do like three or four more of those to make it worthwhile right i already have an idea for the second project like already it's been cooking in the back of my head for years so it's like yeah I'll actually, now i have a reason to do it if i do like six songs that's plenty to keep me busy with that sure I've already started doing some arranging on them slightly, like getting skeletal structures, because this uh, first project's done in terms of the arranging. It's just a matter of learning to play it really well. <laughs> you know, this simple part. So Yeah. Yeah, and I was saying, I announced to the world what my plan was. And so there's... I also put it out there sort of like to gain interest in it. And so mm -hmm. I've had a few people... I'm thinking that the first project, mine, in some ways, mine's trickier because I have to uh, get other people to play on it. Yeah, and <laughs> it's kind like, of stuck like that. So, uh, I mean, I could do everything myself, I guess. I've thought about that too a little bit, but I really, it's nice getting like a real drummer to play instead of me writing drum programs, for instance. Yep. Um, so anyway, um, I got to start moving on that quick. I think that the first, I guess what I was going to say is the first version of this, the first record, I, I'm I'm kind of opening it up to the world of people that I know. Um, they don't have to be in the area and it be a gigging sort of thing. But I'm hoping what happens is that I do the three or four songs for it and then I have a record for it and then I can create a local group that plays it. Right? Yeah. Um. Anyway, good idea. That's the It'll goal. be fun. Yeah, very cool. But yeah, it's coming right. up quick. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> quick. Thank you to all of the thousand and two people that have uh, listened to the podcast. Thank you so much. We really, we really do appreciate it. It's great to see that it's like you know some people are taking interest and the interactions, uh, you know, that we've gotten in terms of comments have been great. You know, just to yeah. kind of interact that and uh, it's encouraging plus it gives us ideas of things to do so if uh, you have ideas for different podcasts or topics shout them out you know comment leave a like or whatever you know the, 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 that spiel of things is just to give us more ideas i mean not that we can't ramble about just about anything but it's nice to have some degree of focus um sure and that'll <laughs> kind of like go from there so yeah and especially if there's like a type of interview that you were like oh man if you could get another sociologist or yeah, um, yeah, like there's a few other people I'm gonna leave the names out that are not um, musicians. Well, I was say that's not their primary occupation yeah. that we're trying go. to get on as well. So I think there's some pretty cool potential interviews too, um, of all yeah. aspects of guitaring. Mm -hmm. so. cool. cool. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. We'll be sporadic till after the new year for sure. And then we're going to hit everything full force metal explosion. So, boom. Peace out. Later. <laughs>